Hello everyone. Today I would like to speak a little bit about hope, which when you look at the world around us right now seems to be in short supply. And I would like to begin by telling a great story that comes from the pages of the Washington Post about an Englishman by the name of Tom Moore. Captain Tom Moore is a 100-year-old hero in England. The British National Health Service, when the COVID-19 pandemic hit, was just woefully underfunded. And so back in April, Captain Moore wanted to raise money for the NHS by walking at the age of 99, the length of his 82 foot garden 100 times before his 100th birthday. Over 10 days, he would do 10 laps and raise money for the laps that he was doing. He thought or he hoped that he would raise about a thousand pounds, which in American is about a little over $1,200. And so he, with the help of some friends, opened and set up a fundraising page. He got started. Within the first 24 hours, he had raised $8,750. By the end of Tuesday, he raised one and a quarter million dollars. Contributions just kept coming in and got bigger and bigger. By the end of the week, by the end of Friday, he had raised $23 million. The contributions continued to come in. By the end of the weekend, he had raised $33 million. And by the time that the fundraising has ended and the site has been taken down, Captain Tom Moore, who now is 100 years old, has raised $41 million for the National Health Service. Not only did he raise all of this money for the NHS, but he rallied a nation that was needing a little bit of hope. And to date, about a half a million people have signed a petition asking Queen Elizabeth to give Tom Moore a knighthood. What a great story. But one of the lessons I think that comes to us is this. A little bit of hope goes a long way. A little bit of hope goes a long way. This little old gentleman acted on a little bit of, uh, on a little bit of hope and he rallied a nation. A little bit of hope goes a long way. But a, a second lesson I think is this. Sometimes reality is bigger than what we hope for. Sometimes reality is actually bigger than what we hope for. Captain Moore had hoped for about $1,200 to give to the National Health Service, but the reality was much bigger. The reality was $41 million. It makes me wonder how we as disciples of Jesus think about our future and what it is that we hope for. So two questions. What is it that you hope for in the future? What is it as a disciple of Jesus that you really hope to happen in the future? Where do you see yourself in the future? The second question is this, is that hope for the future big enough to have an impact on your present day? Is what you think is coming down the road where you hope to be in the future, is it big enough to affect the way that you live in the present? I read where Lewis Smead, a professor at uh, Fuller Theological Seminary, used to ask his students from time to time three questions. He would ask them, how many of you want to go to heaven? Raise your hand. And everybody would enthusiastically raise their hand. But then he would ask a second question. How many of you want to go to heaven right in this moment? And people were a little bit more hesitant. There's an obligation as a Christian to want to go to heaven. So they'd kind of raise their hand to hear. The third question then was this. How many want to wake up tomorrow morning more love than you have ever experienced in life? Where there is no hunger, where there is no thirst, where cemeteries are never ever needed again because no one dies, no one gets sick, no one grows old, no one grows weaker, there's no racism, no armies because there are no wars, no guilt, no curse, no worry, no evil, lions with lambs, and the world is filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now that changes how you think about your future, right? And affects your present. 
Can I get you to think about this statement for just a couple of days? Our true Christian hope is bigger than what we hope for. Our true, real Christian hope is bigger than what we hope for. It's bigger than we imagine. I mean, how do our finite minds understand infinity? How do our concepts of time adequately explain eternity? How do the experiences of growing old and weaker grasp immortality? Can our failures with sin fully discern the absence of, of evil? Can our sometimes compromised hearts grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ? How will it, how will it be seeing only a reflection now when we finally see face to face? It's like being it's like being given a candle in darkness while we wait for the promised sun. And the resurrection of Jesus says all of it is true. You know, the more you, you know about it, the more you meditate on it, the more you contemplate the truths of what God will do in the future, the more it changes the way that you live in the present. Here's a definition of hope that we'll use today. Hope is the life-altering anticipation that God's promised good will one day become reality. Hope is the life-altering anticipation that God's promised good will one day become a reality. That's why the Hebrew writer says hope is the anchor for our soul, regardless of what we're going through right now. Romans chapter 5, Paul says to the church in Rome that that kind of hope is never going to put us to shame because it is a hope that is generated by the love of God that is poured into our hearts through the Spirit which He's given us. An old Bible professor by the name of R.V.G. Tasker writing about hope says this, and I quote, where there is belief in the living God who acts and intervenes in human life and who can be trusted to implement his promises, hope in the biblical sense is possible. End of quote. It's possible, but not assumed. We live in a culture, we live in a world that actively works against hope. And so hope cannot be assumed. Hope has to be cultivated in our souls. There's a story in the Gospel of Luke of Christian hope being cultivated by Jesus in the hearts of disciples. In Luke chapter 24, there are two disciples who are on their way to Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem after the crucifixion of Jesus. The resurrected Jesus catches up with them on the road, but they are kept from being able to recognize him. And as they're walking along, Jesus wants to know, what were you talking about? And they stop, Luke says, and their heads are hanging down. And Cleopas says, have you not heard about what happened to Jesus who was sentenced to death and was crucified? And in verse 21, he says, and we had hoped, past tense, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And here, Jesus begins to cultivate hope in their hearts. And in verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. And then later that day at a meal together with these two disciples on the, on the road to Emmaus, they're having dinner. And it's at that point as they're breaking bread that Jesus is recognized by them and he disappears. And these two fellows look at each other and they say, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? The flames of hope were being kindled in their heart, and it felt like their heart was on fire. Jesus was cultivating in their hearts through helping them to see the events 
that had happened in the days before, what they were experiencing in those events in light of God's word. He was helping them to understand. The same thing happens today. Circumstances do not fill us with hope. God does. Circumstances do not fill us with hope. God does. And here's the key verse for all of us today. Romans 15 verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. We are people in this day, in this world, with these circumstances who overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the time we have remaining, let me mention three quick things about how how God helps cultivate hope to overflow in our hearts. First, remember past blessings. That is, to think back. Remember past blessings. Think back and remember blessings in the past. Now, blessings are wonderful. They're multidimensional interactions between God and all creation. And we typically think of blessings as as something that God does to help us live in faith and to know with certainty that God is not just out there someplace, but that he's active not only in his world, but he is active in our lives. But God's blessings in the past are kind of like appetizers. An appetizer is just a taste that says something bigger and better is coming. It's something that helps you get to the main course, which is really the big deal and the main thing and the main reason you're there at the restaurant. It's a little plate that helps you get to the big plate when you're hungry. Now, there are no appetizers in fast food places. I mean, nobody would walk up to McDonald's and say, you know, I'll have a Big Mac, a Coke and French fries, and while I'm waiting, I'll take the calamari. Nope. When you go to a great restaurant, what's, what's, what's coming is going to be great, but it's going to take some time to get to the table. And so the appetizer blesses you and helps you to make it to the main course. Now, this is one of the reasons why we count our blessings and we, and we should do it on a daily basis. Remembering blessing in the past helps us to know that the present moment is not devoid of God or God's love. Counting our blessings reminds us that we do not do life alone, that we are never alone, that God is with us. We may not understand what's going on. We may not like what's going on. In fact, we may want what's going on right now to disappear. But the blessings remind us that whatever it is we face, we are not alone. And remembering God's goodness in the past brings hope in the present. You remember all of the things that Paul went through in his life, and he's writing to the church in Corinth, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, He, that is God, has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. So one of the things that you do is you remember the past blessings. You think back. But then number two, you see God's future. That is, you think ahead. God has has told us so many things, things that we can understand that just point to something much bigger in our future. And Peter, knowing that the church that he's writing to in 1 Peter is, is facing some tough times, he wants them to think about what's ahead. And so beginning in chapter 1, verse 3 of 1 Peter, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. 
In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. Jesus is going to come back, and Jesus is going to be revealed. And so what do you think of when you think of heaven? Does it fill you with wonder and with awe and with longing? How do you think about your future and what it is that becomes your inheritance when Jesus is revealed does indeed affect how you think about the present and how you live through the present. When Jesus returns, it's not going to be the end of everything, but the beginning of everything. And so not only do you remember past blessings and not only do you see God's future up ahead, but you put hope in God. That is a decision. That is thinking today and what I need to do today in light of the circumstances and the history around me. What do I do today? I put my hope in God. And that means letting God be God. I've told you on many occasions that it is impossible for my wife Ellen to lie. She just cannot do it. If she ever told a lie, she would just blow up. She can never live with telling an untruth. And so I know this through nearly four decades of being married to her. So suppose one day somebody that I don't know comes up to me and says, hey, I need to tell you something about your wife, Ellen. She does not tell the truth. She is a liar. Now, how insane would it be for, for me, not knowing who this person is, to say, you know what? You're right. Ellen does not tell the truth. I mean, I have committed the sin of not letting Ellen be Ellen. Now, there, are, there will be all kinds of voices and circumstances and experiences and disappointments and setbacks and all kinds of things that are going to try to define God for you. But let God be God in all the ways that he reveals himself in the word and reveals himself in Christ. And as you learn about God, do what the psalmist encourage you to do. Put your faith in God. Psalm 131, verse 3, Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. Psalm 130, verse 7, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. Psalm 43, verse 5, put your hope in God. You know, a pessimist is someone who sees the glass half empty, and the optimist sees the glass half full. A person with a living hope is someone whose cup, in the words of David in Psalm 23, his cup overflows. Warren Hutchinson was a man whose cup overflowed. He lost his eyesight at the young age of 35. Later, a stroke took his ability to communicate and, and hampered his, his ability to, to, to move around. But instead of becoming bitter, hope blossomed in Warren's heart and he became an example of a person who walked by faith and not by sight. At his recent funeral, I read a portion of a letter his son Daryl had written to to Warren thanking him uh, back in 2006 for the kind of man and the kind of dad that he was to he and to Cheryl Lee. And a portion of that letter reads like this. Thank you for seeing the glass running over, not half empty or half full. Warren overflowed with hope. Our, our hope is not gonna be based in whether or not uh, our political party wins. Our hope is not going to be based on the circumstances that surround us day by day. 
Our hope is based in the eternity that is waiting for us in the future, that God is revealing to us in the present and has given us a taste of through blessings in the past. We are the people in this world whose hearts overflow with hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day and for your presence in it and for all of the ways through your spirit in us, you help our hearts to overflow with hope and with joy and with peace. Father, help us to be the models of hope in this community today. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.